Welcome to That's Illegal, a podcast produced by the Global Justice Center, or GJC. We're a legal human rights nonprofit based in New York City that works to move international law from paper to practice. This week, our legal advisor, Elena Sarver, and program coordinator, Meredy Johnson, will dive into the Trump administration's new Commission on Unalienable Rights. The commission is stacked with socially conservative ideologues with a history of hostility to abortion rights and LGBTQ rights. Its goal? To remake human rights in the image of Trump and his regressive agenda. Welcome to That's Illegal. I'm so excited to be here with my colleague Elena to talk about the State Department's new commission on unalienable rights and just the general state of affairs when it comes to human rights in America. Thank you, Meredy. Also excited to be here. So I guess one little note uh, is that we've just published an article with the Columbia Human Rights Law Review online. And the title of the piece is Canary in the Coal Mine, Abortion and the Commission on Unalienable Rights. And I think that title itself is indicative of how U.S. efforts to undermine abortion rights should be seen as a canary in the coal mine of the human rights system. And this commission is the latest example of that undermining and also should be a serious warning of things to come with this administration. Yeah, absolutely. It all kind of it all occupies the same sort of spectrum of uh, closing space for civil society and uh, cracking down on human rights. And generally, uh, abortion rights, reproductive rights in general, are the ones that are kind of like the test case. Um, Yeah, so very much the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, and I guess um, the commission itself has been formed. They've had two meetings so far, and a third is scheduled for next week, December 11th. So it's well underway, but we I guess we pack? can back up a little yeah. bit and talk about how it came about and yeah. a little bit of background on it. So um, the commission was initially announced in May of 2019 uh, with very little information about it. Um, yeah, very quietly. It, um, they published like a notice of intent to create an advisory committee and no one really knew yeah. like, what it was going to be. And just on uh, like... For me personally, once we got word that this was happening and it was very ambiguous what it was, I tried calling the contact person on the notice in the Federal Register and was rerouted to about three different offices, one being the press office, who was very cagey and Mm. didn't want to actually give me any information um, maybe I'm, they didn't have it. I maybe mean, they didn't have it. Um, <laughs> maybe it was my fault for saying that I was calling from a human rights organization because maybe uh, they just threw my message away as soon as I hung up. But the point is that they were very cagey about it at the beginning. Um, and maybe this was because they didn't know what direction it was going to go into or they knew what that outcry was going to be like. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a good point. Um, so then it was formally announced in July. Pompeo made a a speech. Um, and like you said, it was immediately alarm bells uh, from the human rights community about this commission. And Pompeo himself published uh, an op-ed defending the commission in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And just to quote from this Wall Street Journal op-ed, which data, it's dated July 7th of 2019. Um, it's really just his justification for uh, redefining human rights. Um, as though we don't already know what human rights are. Um, But he says the commission is an advisory body, um, but 
uh, its members will address basic questions. I'm quoting here. What are our fundamental freedoms? Why do we have them? Who or what grants these rights? Um, and then he also spends a bunch of time, uh, a couple paragraphs, just kind of dumping on human rights advocacy and of civil society in general, saying that it's more of an industry than a, than a moral compass and that many human rights advocates are just appealing to contrived rights for political advantage. So he's really just taking aim at the entire institution of human rights and international law as it's existed since after World War II, um, which is just incredibly audacious. Yeah, it's interesting to point out that before, I mean, this is the initial announcement that he's already on the defense. Like, I mean, there's already this idea that he has to defend this point of view. And I think that that's, uh, says a lot about yeah, absolutely the fact that it, on one hand, appear, appears to be his his brainchild. I mean, this is a personal project, it seems, of his of his own making. Um, and it's indi- indicated, too, by the people that are on the com- the commission itself, which we'll get to later, but he was her research assistant, Marianne Glendon. Yeah, um, she his was, mentor. His mentor is the chair school. of the commission. Yeah, I mean that's one signal of I think he was gonna. There was an intent that it was gonna be his his personal I think gr- project. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the purpose, as it was stated in the notice um, filing, that it, this idea that discourse has departed from our nation's founding principles of natural law and natural rights. I think. Those terms um, are really, they really have coded meaning. Um, I think that in a lot of common um, discussion around that, I think that it has been understood to mean anti-progressive ideals, anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQI, anti-women. They're really dog whistle terms. Um, And it really speaks for itself that literal hate groups um, like the Family Research Council are all in on this commission, and they are so excited that it uh, for the work that it's doing. Um, so, yeah, it the promise was that this would be a bipartisan expert uh, expert group that would just reimagine what rights are, uh, but that's totally not what it is. Yeah. Um, um. And I think there's just a lot of mixed messaging around around the commission itself and in these early days and then even till now, a few months later, um, Pompeo himself has said a few times that, yes, it's an advisory body. It won't opine on policy. But then at the first meeting, he said, um, again, it's uh, an advisory body, but we hope it will inform policymaking in the future. So it's a little bit unclear about what... <laughs> Yeah, what is the purpose? Especially too, because there's already a human rights bureau in the State Department. So there wasn't a lot of discussion around what this why why do we need this commission? And then how is it intended to kind of work with the other existing bodies? And who is a part of this? Exactly. And it's it's very strange rhetoric in that he's playing he seems to be kind of playing down its importance to everybody who's worried about it, which is mm-hmm. uh most experts and then playing it up to his base, which is religious conservatives, extreme right wing people. Um, And it's also I mean, if we want to get into this now, but the idea of basing human or reimagining what human Mm -hmm. rights are based on America's founding principles is fundamentally just nonsensical because we already know what human rights are. um, And it's not up to any one country to, to determine what they are and who gets them. Right. They, 
exist to hold states accountable. So they can't be defined, redefined, limited based on the demands or viewpoints of a single government or administration. Um, I mean, I know that in the charter itself, they actually do mention the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was uh, adopted in response to World War II in a specific moment in history um, and forms the basis for many of the binding human rights treaties that have followed. Um, and, you know, really the source of human rights, we can look to the treaty, treaty treaties that have developed um, in the last 70 years, um, various sources of international law, customary international law, and this ideal that there's an equal basis and responsibility of states to protect these fundamental rights. It shouldn't be for one government, one administration to define those based on their own personal individual views. I know that he's, Pompeo has said that his concern around, you know, the, the impetus for this commission is that we need to ground our human rights in something more than someone's fancy of the moment. But I think that that's really trying to undercut the development of the last 70 years in this human rights framework as it exists and yeah, only and to kind of preserve the power or your viewpoints as you, an individual Pompeo, views them. Yeah. And it's also that quote from him just fundamentally misunderstands what the modern human rights framework even came out of, because it came out of World War II and there was a global moment where people realized that actually we do need to enshrine these human rights and the international community does need to work better together. Um, and in addition to, like you said, Elena, all the um, treaty bodies and organs of the UN, like these advisory committees and the people who review countries' compliance with treaties, they are experts. Mm -hmm. They have years of experience. They are incredibly knowledgeable in, the, in their field. So it's not like people, it's not just random people pulling facts out of thin air. These are people who are looking at jurisprudence. Right. It's it's based on a, a uh, tradition of international law. Um, right. So it's, yeah, just the, honestly, the gall of Pompeo to be like, nope, that seems kind of invalid to me. Um, probably based on the fact that a lot of modern human rights thinkers are way more progressive than he is. Mm -hmm. And his interest as shown through his, entire political career is that he really doesn't l want to give rights to every group of people. Mm -hmm. So it's just. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think there's real need to reject this idea that these are new quote unquote new rights. Um, and, and I think that really undermines the value of the development and um, real input from other parts of the world, other, other, um, groups than just, yeah, it's sort of, it, it feels like a very strange thing to just be like, oh, well, we're starting over right now and we're basing it on the founding principles of America, um, which is also problematic. Right. Like America's founding principles, like some ultra modern beliefs of like how black people are three fifths of a person, like, ooh, totally fine. Yeah. Not, not okay. Um, that, that, and, and, and where is the room for challenging that I mean, it just it's it's who are the people that get are are going to be able to decide the answers to these questions? What are our human rights? I mean, he said that the commission will explore what are our fundamental freedoms, why do we have them, who or what grants them, um, how should government be organized and limited to ensure the protection of rights? Okay, um, but I think it's a key question to say who are 
you appointing to decide the answers to these questions. I mean, that's a that's a key part of the information that will come out of this commission that he hopes, you know, he said himself that he hopes that this will be used. Um, he wants citizens of the world to uphold this document prepared by the commission. I mean, we have to really look at who are the people that are going to be deciding the answers to these questions. Yeah. So I guess, do we want to go into uh, who these people actually are? Because yeah, it is um, not a neutral group. Surprise. It's a bunch of right wingers, uh, <laughs> gay bashers and pro-lifers. Um, so, yeah, not exactly <sighs> this bipartisan representing diverse points of view that they claim to yeah. <laughs> consist of. I mean, there's uh, nine men, three women, three people of color, but only one confirmed Democrat. I mean, the partisan views aren't terribly clear, but... Yeah, and um, the commission charter also was written by a man named Robert George, who was the former chair of the National Organization for Marriage and believes that the, that abortion is objectively immoral. So, uh, yeah, super impartial and open-minded person to be writing your commission charter. Right. And I mean, problematically, most of the members seem to share similar backgrounds and viewpoints, largely grounded in this conservative theology. And they use, have used those views I mean, um, to argue against contraception, LGBTQI protections, including same-sex marriage. Um, it, they've, a lot of them have written publicly on these yeah. on their viewpoint. So it's not, these aren't hidden. It's not a mystery. <laughs> Neutral, right. Um, and it's also worth noting that members of the commission themselves and other supporters of the commission's creation, as soon as this was announced in May of this year, they were somehow appalled or they acted like they were appalled that human rights advocates, um, women's groups, LGBT groups, um, were worried about this mm. um and it was this feeling this idea of like you're judging us straight off the bat that's so right fair give how them a chance be, yeah how could you be so closed-minded and it's like when people show you who they are yeah, believe, believe them, them the first time and they've been showing us for over two years so it's like yeah i guess i'm the idiot for <laughs> taking you at your word um because just a quick google of any of these people you, you know who they are. Um, so like the chair of this commission, Marianne Glendon, she was Mike Pompeo's mentor uh, when he was at Harvard Law School. And she is incredibly conservative. Um, she, for example, she was the representative of the Holy See to the 1995 Beijing conference, where um, not only did she lobby against recognizing the right to abortion, which ultimately was the prevailing view of the outcome document, she even opposed condom use as a means of HIV prevention. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think this is in our um, article, too. But there was there's a quote that she had views more conservative than the popes on women's rights. Yeah. So um, that's saying something. Yeah. Um, other uh, members of the commission, uh, one of them was a judge at the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, uh, but is also a believer that religious freedom should extend to businesses like Hobby Lobby who don't want to pay for their employees to have contraception as part of their health insurance plans. Um, yeah, and it's ironic considering these commissioners' backgrounds um, that the charter itself, which 
they got to come up with says uh, that it should be that its members should have distinguished backgrounds in U.S. diplomacy, international law and human rights. Um, so that totally explains why a man who once compared embryonic research to Nazi science sits on this esteemed commission. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's worth uh, reiterating that Pompeo himself has a history of extreme yes. hostility to human rights. Um, including abortion rights, rights for LGBTQ people, basically for people who are not him. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he was a congressional rep in Kansas before becoming Secretary of State, um, and he supported abortion bans with zero exceptions for rape. Um, and he's always asserted this U.S. understanding of human rights should be grounded in religion. It's this, these, this idea that um, there's this real elevation of religious freedom um, and that those rights should be given by God, not government. And I think there's um, a lot that's problematic about that. Yeah, and it's a feeling like an idea that religious freedom and religious rights trump other kinds of rights. Right. Um, so, and I, I think if you look at, if, if, if you compare the makeup of the human rights bodies at the UN, uh, the people who are tasked with reviewing uh, countries' compliance with treaties and what these treaties mean. Um, and if you look at their expertise and their bona fides compared to the people who sit on this commission, I think it's just another example of the incredible arrogance of Mike Pompeo in this whole thought experiment um, and of their attitude towards the international human rights system and towards just the idea of human rights as a whole. And I think something that's also come out of... Um, I think conversations around this commission and around human rights is that there's a proliferation of rights or this claim of rights that has exploded. Um, and again, this undercutting of it based, based on merely personal preference. Um, I think that this hierarchy, I think, is problematic because it sets up a zero-sum structure and it's undercutting, I think, the universal universality of rights when you place some above others in terms of importance. Exactly. And it it really speaks to their mentality that they're treating this like giving a, giving a group, I don't know, a new category of civil rights somehow takes away from you personally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it, I mean, I, I think it really speaks to the fear that they have of losing the power that they have because other people have been denied their, their basic rights. Um, and it also, I think just personally, this comes up, this comes up all the time when you look at sort of, um, if you look at any kind of think piece about have have human rights gone too far? It's like there's too many human rights mm. now. Or if everything is a human right, then nothing is. Um, but it first of all, it's incredibly frustrating because it's, I think it's a real logical fallacy to say that um, because the kind of rights that we are advocating for and that other human rights organizations want to see in the world are not particularly outlandish um, here at GJC. Like. We work on abortion rights because abortion is health care. And if you look in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, everybody has a right to medical care. Um, it's the same with a right to housing, a right to be free from violence, a right to education. That's some pretty basic stuff. And so honestly, like, I want, I really invite anybody who has this idea of, oh, there's too many human rights nowadays. Which one do you think there shouldn't be? Right. Like, <laughs> who do you think shouldn't have the rights? And again, which one goes too far for you? Who's like, just tell, that. Yeah, just tell me. Yeah, it's and who are who is any one individual to say, oh, that right isn't as important. I don't need that one, or 
all people shouldn't have that one in particular. I think it just goes against logic, like you said. Um, and again, it undercuts this development of 70 years of in input from these expert groups that uh, are charged with monitoring these treaties that have been signed onto by countries around the world. It's not just one administration, one government who's deciding what rights should be um, for all. Uh, it's this collective world um, consensus and development. Um, and it just shouldn't be dismissed so so easily by, by one individual. Yeah. And it also really is such an insult to all of the people who have worked so hard and many who have died to achieve these human rights. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just the audacity of just throwing out statements like that um, and talking about how human rights advocates are just, we're just a cottage industry, that we're in it for the money or the personal gain is just total nonsense. It really speaks to privilege and maintaining power yeah. um, as they want it for themselves. I mean, it exactly. It's like what it's a threat to, uh, I guess their view, their views. Um, it's yeah. It's a threat to them that um, like the thought that every human being deserves to be treated with dignity is somehow a threat to them, which right. really kind of says it all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess I think a topic that's come up for us a lot in talking about this commission and in general, um, and is in the paper, which you can read at our website, globaljusticecenter.net, which you probably are already on that website, but if you're not, um, and you found this podcast somehow, some, somehow other than our, our website, um, that's where it is. Um, but so it's obvious that one of the commission's primary goals is to undermine global progress progress on abortion rights, which the Trump administration has already done in so many ways. Truly. Um, I mean, even within two days of Trump taking office and um, putting the global gag rule in, into effect and then expanding it, I mean, that right off the bat set <laughs> set the pace for, I think, what would come, which we've only seen over the last two, oh my gosh, Two plus. Two plus yeah. years. Uh, it's only gotten worse. Um, for example, in 2018, the State Department's annual human rights report totally eliminated the sections on reproductive rights around the world. Yeah, um, and I, I think this sent a signal that it's just not important to this administration. Um, yeah. um, right. They've also, uh, earlier this year in April of 2019, mm -hmm. I think it was, this year's been so long, um, <laughs> in a UN resolution talking about support for survivors of sexual violence in conflict zones, the U.S. Uh, refused to vote for any resolution that even mentioned sexual and reproductive health for rape survivors. So, right. I mean, and literally was threatening to veto the resolution entirely if it made any reference um, and ultimately, yeah, there was no direct reference to reproductive health in the resolution as it passed. And I think that that's a compromise to avoid this U.S. veto that yeah, is appalling. It, it was. And it's just really appalling to that that is the hill that they were willing to die on. Right. Um, and that they were willing to take others down with them on. Um, I think there's also been consistent examples of replacing the word gender with women and girls in negotiated documents at the UN. Um, I think that this is also indicative of this narrowing scope of human rights protections to just cover gendered assumptions of what women and girls should be rather than people, all people entitled, what all people are entitled to as humans. Right. And I think this 
matches up pretty well with what the Trump administration has done in other fora when it comes to the rights of trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming people, Mm, um, as in totally denying that they exist. Yeah, other examples of the Trump administration's attacks on abortion rights and human rights framework, um, uh, the cutting of funding to the Organization of American States based on claims that its agencies were using funds to lobby for abortion in violation of the Sill Gender Amendment, which prohibits the use of U.S. funds to lobby for or against abortion. Um, Essentially, this is censoring the free speech uh, by human rights advisory bodies who provide expert guidance. It's not lobbying. It's they're 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 tasked with doing the work that they do. They're experts. This isn't it doesn't fall into this definition of lobbying. I think it's just another way to try to uh, restrict abortion access in in other bodies around the world now. Yeah. And it's a way for them to bully people who have opinions that don't line up with theirs into silence. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, abortion, we've seen the development of abortion as a human right recognized in treaties and human rights bodies, um, enshrining this abortion access as a human right in the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the Convention Against Torture. You know, in the last 25 years, this development of access to safe abortion as a protected right under international human rights law, we can see it. And... Um, to to ignore that, I think, does a disservice to these groups that have been doing this work for for decades. Yeah, and these international treaties are considered to protect access to abortion under various rights to health, life, non-discrimination, privacy, and freedom from torture. Yeah. Um, and this kind of leads us more broadly into the overall U.S. disengagement from the human rights regime, um, which... With the caveat starting off that America has never, or since World War II, has not been particularly enthusiastic about the international uh, human rights framework and international law, um, even though Americans have been instrumental in developing a lot of those institutions and treaty bodies, especially early on. Um, but even lo- if you look back, um, a really good example is the discussion in America over CEDAW, which is mm-hmm. the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, um, which, in case you didn't know, the U.S. is one of six countries in the world that has not ratified this treaty. So really super select cool. group. Yeah. Um, but even when Congress was discussing whether CEDAW should be ratified and if there should be any reservations, et cetera, even proponents of ratification saw it as we need to set this example for other countries right. where women don't have rights because um, there was a feeling, and I mean, there still is this understanding that American women don't need the protections of international mm-hmm. human rights, that we're good with the Constitution, which, I mean, is a total lie. Um, and Right. I mean, just look across the country today at how many restrictions on abortion. Exactly. State by state. I mean, and Roe, with the judges on the Supreme Court, really um, under threat. So this this idea that, oh, women's rights in the United States are the strongest protections possible are just it's false. I'm, I mean, CEDAW has much stronger, um, much stronger protections that we don't have. Exactly. And beyond abortion rights, uh, talking about um, maternity leave, pay equality, right. uh, laws on uh, domestic violence. Um, yeah, they're the predominant narrative among a lot of. 
American legal scholars or I guess the political rhetoric is that we have the Constitution, Mm -hmm. we're set, um, we have all the rights we need in that. But the Trump administration has really taken um, just a real hard right turn when it comes to human rights, um, because even if previous administrations kind of perpetrated this idea that America doesn't really need human rights. Mm -hmm. We're just setting an example for those other countries. At least they respected the existence of international law and human rights. Um, Even the Bush administration tried to justify its torture program under the Geneva Conventions, which is itself a really, really low bar. But it still demonstrates that the U.S. recognized that these laws exist and they need to be respected. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point, that there's been active disengagement from human rights framework in with this administration. Um, there's a few examples. Withdrawing from the Human Rights Council, they have failed to submit any reports to the very few treaties that we are a party to, including the Committee Against Torture and um, Committee on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. Yeah, and, and a, a few other points that Nikki Haley herself has called this UN report on U.S. poverty ridiculous and a waste of money and um, resources. And in her statement, she said, oh, they should have studied poverty in places like Congo, Burundi, and Venezuela. And I think that that's indicative of, again, this point that our rights as Americans are, um, they're great. They're, they, we don't need to worry about these concerns that are for other places. And I think it's another take on that is that this idea that human rights are not for Americans. So as we've talked about, this is not just some harmless debate club. It's um, Pompeo himself has said that he hopes this commission will have a global reach and that people around the world can hold up the documents prepared by the commission, I suppose, for their own rights to invoke their own rights. I mean, that's it. this isn't just some fun thought experiment. I think it's really intended to have real um i know he's gone back and forth about saying that it's just an advisory body but he's also said they hope that it will inform policy making so i think we should again take him at his word yeah absolutely and it really fits into the larger pattern that we've seen over the past two and a half years from the trump administration of attacking human rights uh marginalizing minority groups and really spitting in the face of the international system. So it's, yeah, we should take them at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it is really dangerous that this group of extremely conservative and bigoted people is being assembled with government funding yes. and that they have the State Department behind them. I think that in itself is really shocking and should be um, really upsetting to people who care about basic human rights, which I hope is everybody who listens to this podcast. <laughs> right. And it 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 shouldn't be viewed as this sort of academic. I know that a lot of a lot of the narrative around it is that it's these these individuals who are going to come together and talk about these questions. But I think, again, the idea is that this will implicate it'll involve actual people's lives. I mean, it already has with the policies that we've seen the Trump administration put in place, like the global global gag rule. Right. Like Um, two and a half years in from the re-implementation and expansion of gag, the result is literally women are dying. Right. And I think 
another point is that this isn't just, it shouldn't just be an idea that conservative administration should take human rights obligations seriously. I think it should be for, um, for any government um, administration, but it really will take serious engagement with U.S.'s own human rights obligations. And that may look like ratifying CEDAW in a real meaningful way. I mean, we stand out as one of the few com countries, like you said, who hasn't done that. And I think that that says a lot when we stand apart and um, really don't hold ourselves to account in the same way that countries around the world. I think that it sets up a very dangerous um, dynamic where then potentially it's easier to commit violations because we don't have to hold ourselves accountable to right, or the that systems. We that don't even acknowledge we don't engage that those rights exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just like how the state department quit talking about reproductive rights in their human rights reports. Um, if you don't acknowledge that these rights exist, then you can go ahead and violate them however you want. And you um, can go ahead and redefine them however you want. Exactly. As we're saying. Um, so yeah, I think, um, you're right that this commission is not just an ivory tower group of mm -hmm. academics um, who, having lost the culture war mm -hmm. on same-sex marriage, have now turned their attention, I guess, to human rights in general. Right. Um, right. So. We need to keep our attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it is also worth pointing out that we're not the only ones who are super concerned about this commission. There For are sure. plenty of um, members of Congress in both the Senate and the House who have sent letters to the State Department and have also started raising inquiries about this. Um, because, again, they're, this commission is operating with our money. Um, yeah, there should be transparency around what their intent is and, and who are ultimately the people deciding um, these important questions. But, again, like, is this really a necessary use of, of money when we have an entire human rights framework. Exactly. We know what human rights are. It's not a mystery. Um, yeah. And just, and we should take them seriously. I think that that, it, that, that when they're so easily dismissed, it's really concerning. Um, yeah. And for when, what that means, it doesn't bode well for the future. Yeah. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for today before we both go into a rage. <laughs> but yeah, we will certainly be keeping our eyes on this commission. It is, um, I think I, I don't have the charter right in front of me, but I think it's intended to meet at least, at least once a month. Once a month for the so, next two years, I believe, right? Yeah. So, so maybe we'll go to a meeting. Who knows? They are open to the public. Um, yeah, would... I think it's important to monitor and not let this group off the hook for, again, the arrogance and the lack of clarity and for the need of the group and for what their intended purposes will be important to keep our eyes. <laughs> yeah, we'll be keeping them. them on their toes because uh, that's what GJC does. Mm -hmm.